no and low alcohol beverages have been a standout category with sales growing more than 7% last year, according to IWSR. So today I'm talking with Jamie Lissette, Chief Operating Officer of Athletic Brewing Company, a growing brand that's really seizing this opportunity. We're talking not only about their growth strategy and how they decide which markets to enter, but also how they leverage consumer insights from their dedicated D2C base and about some of the biggest misconceptions when it comes to the non-alcoholic category. Stay tuned for that and more on this episode of Tech Transformation. Welcome to Tech Transformation with CGT and RIS News. I'm Lisa Johnson, the Editor-in-Chief at CGT. Now, Tech Transformation, we talk about the technologies and the trends impacting the retail and consumer goods industries. And the non-alcoholic beverage market continues to grow, driven by an increase in wellness trends and product innovation. So today, I'm really excited to have Jamie Lissette, Chief Operating Officer of Athletic Brewing Company, a rising star in the non-alcoholic beverage market. Jamie, welcome. Hey, good morning, Lisa. Thanks for having me. It's great to have you. Uh, get us started. Tell us just a little bit about your background and tell us a little bit about Athletic. Yeah, uh, so my background, um, I've been here for about almost four years at Athletic. Um, so four out of the five and a quarter of our existence. Uh, my background was in uh, finance prior to this, um, similar to our founder, Bill Schufelt, completely came from a different industry. And um, Athletic itself has grown since I've been here from about eight people to over 220. Wow. Uh, we've built two huge, massive facilities, expanded to 50 states and almost 200 and something distributors. And we have a, a growing online uh, DTC business as well. Awesome. Well, we're going to get into some of that a little bit later. Uh, can you talk up a little bit about your target customer? Our, our target customer really is um, anybody that's looking for a better for you alternative, basically, than a beer with alcohol. Um, we know who our target is, or we know who our customer is, because it's um, it's almost 50-50 male, female. Um, we, we do sell DTC, like I mentioned. So we're sending out 40,000 packages a month, and we can know exactly who that's going to. And that that currently is the majority is about a 25 to 45 year old uh, male or female. So it just wants a better tasting alternative product for, for alcoholic beer. What's your most popular product? Uh, Run Wild IPA is our is our hero skew. It was the original one. It's the some people call it the blue can, um, <laughs> but uh, just a great tasting West Coast IPA. Uh, with um, I think 70 calories, 65, 70 calories in it. Um, and uh, it's a, just a great product. What do you think is the biggest misconception about, about athletic and maybe even about the non-alcoholic beverage category? What are you guys you know, consistently running into? Yeah, I'd say it's, it's less about um, athletic and it's more about non-alcoholic beer. So we've had decades of you know, not great tasting products. Um, so anybody who's of a certain generation knows, you know, the products that were here before and they were a, a de-alkalized product uh, with something else added in to, to sort of make it taste okay, mm-hmm. um, but never make it taste great. So I think that the category of NA beer is overcoming some hurdles of just the past of, uh, you know, fairly, fairly worse products. So. It's come a long way. I don't want to specifically call out the one company that everyone thinks of when you talk about non-alcoholic beer, but it's certainly a big shift from what it used to be. So in your growth strategy, how do you determine which markets you should expand into? 
Well, um, all of them, <laughs> you know, so uh, basically we have, we want to be yeah, everywhere, two to, two, two to three channels that we go through. Um, DTC obviously is how we grew mm-hmm. um, because we, like I said, we only started uh, four or five years ago, the company and I started about three and a half years ago and we were tiny, but you know, having that ability to sell to 50 states via the internet, which Beard never could because of uh, laws, you know, uh, we're able to expand extremely fast. Um, we basically knew that, for example, in California, that was going to be a huge market for us. So when we built our second facility, uh, we built it in California. Um, but now we're in 50 states, 200 and something distributors, and um, really just expanding um, in in points of distribution more than markets at this point. So, mm-hmm. you know, bars, restaurants, uh, hotels, schools, things like that. So. So with all this expansion and all this growth comes a lot of disruption, right? And challenges to your your digital and your IT teams. That's the core CGT and RIS audience. I actually just had an awesome conversation with Dan Miller, your director of IT. Oh, um, and awesome. he was talking, yeah, he's, he's really a great guy. He was talking a bit about how important your culture is in all of this and how important it is to remain nimble like a startup, um, but still putting those crucial best practices into place. Um, so I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about that. How do you keep your teams focused on these long-term growth goals without really getting bogged down and by all those everyday tasks? Yeah, so so we do a lot of, um, we formalize OKR, so like objectives and key results, mm-hmm. right? And so as, as a different team, like I'm in operations and so um, I have IT, I have CX, I have procurement and, and then planning and a bunch of other things. Um, but basically we'll, we'll put down our goals for the teams our, and our OKRs for the whole company as a whole, right? Um, and then each one of those objective key results, we say, well, what's it going to be measured by, right? So it's going to be measured by an NPS score of 90, or it's going to be measured by, you know, um, this, this result or this goal being done by this date, right? A lot of what we're still doing as a growing company is like transforming um, and integrating into our ERP system and, you know, trying to make sure that we don't um, triple up or double up sort of our our work to get the same result if it may already be available, for example, um, you know, from our ERP. So, Are you having a lot of hindsight 2020 moments as you grow? Um, we always, you know, I think any, any organization that grows this fast, you know, you have to look backwards, but we're, we're really forward looking. We look, you know, it, there's, there's so many unknowns that exist with a company growing this fast mm-hmm. that to look backwards is sort of like not, not the best way. So we look forward and we just say, where do we want to be in three months or next week or next year and sort of set our objectives based on that. So. How do you use analytics? Um, we actually have an event coming up, giving, giving a little plug, Analytics Unite, uh, being held May 3rd through 5th in Chicago. So it's very top of mind for our team. So can you talk a little bit about how you're using analytics uh, to inform your decision making? Yeah, sure. I mean, we it's all about analytics, right? Because we, we've built two huge facilities, right? We don't know where um, or how fast our market is going to grow, right? And our, and our market grows month by month, you know, week by week. Um, you know, so and we have historical um, ebbs and flows, too, with just, you know, as if we were beer, we're going to have a slower February, you know, and because we're not out there, we're going to have a massive January. So our analytics are basically, you know, uh, giving us insights into a future that's very unknown, um, but allowing us to make decisions based, you know, to take risks, right? Because if we don't take any risks, then we're, we're 
just never going to grow. And so the analytics make us uh, or allow us to to take risks, but they're you know hopefully they're risks with a lot of data behind it to base our decision on it. So we do everything from uh, taking daily rate of sale reports across the country. Um, you know, analyzing um, how many SKUs are at each uh, point of distribution that we have. Um, you know, are we geographically optimizing our our distribution or our production so that if I'm shipping something to, you know, Oklahoma, could I ship it from Connecticut or should I, could I ship it from San Diego? And when I do have flexibility, you know, when can I push one, you know, one to a different um, uh, distribution center basically to enhance you know, the inventory on hand. So we're just basically taking all these data points and trying to analyze them daily, weekly, monthly. So, You mentioned before that, you know, since you sell DTC, you know exactly who each customer is, who all of your customers are. Can you, do you use these consumer insights in your product development or, you know, to refine existing products? Yeah. I mean, you know, mainly for innovation, right? So we're, 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 very blessed because we can ship our beer, right? And we and we don't have we have a small tap room in Connecticut, but you know if you're a if you're a um, a brewery, you know you have people come in and you, you serve them at the bar and you say here you know here try this type of you know uh, beer and you get the feedback and you say How, this is good. Well, we we can do that and we've done it. Last year we did over sixty five beers that were just DTC only, right? And so. We get the consumer feedback, the the customer service feedback. I loved it. I didn't like it. It's it's too bitter. It's too you know. It's really chocolatey. Whatever it is, we take that feedback and it it, it helps us refine our future beers and then to also decide like what can go to market, right? Go to retail with that. So we call it like a virtual tap room in essence. So, do you share these insights with your retail partners? We do, and we share a lot of um, a lot of insights about the category just as much as athletic, right? So athletic is the fastest growing player in like the, the non-alcoholic craft beer market where 55 to 60% of the growth that's coming. And so we share with them, this is what we're seeing. This is the consumer that, you know, it's hard for them to figure out who's buying, you know, our product at their market, right? Unless they have loyalty cards and things like that. And then they can get that sort of data, but we get it you know, 45,000 times a month, right? So we can tell them, hey, you know, beer is historically 90, 10 uh, male, female, right? And we're saying, look, so the customer who's going to be buying this is very close to 5149 male, female, right? Like it's so, so for them to think about this, that's going to change the way that they think about um, the consumer for this product, right? And that's going to help us sell more and it's going to help them sell uh, more correctly to that consumer. So, Do you have any examples on, or do you know of uh, any way that retailers have taken this feedback and adjusted, you know, what they did, how they uh, are marketing? Yeah, basically, I mean, when, when, when they're asking us to help them design sets, right? Mm-hmm. Like when you're designing a set for a retailer, it's not just, hey, here's our products. This is all you should have, right? We're saying, well, you know, in, in our perfect scenario, You've got this product on the far left of your set, and you've got this product on the far right, and you've got three or four of our products in between. And that's the perfect set, right? And here's the data as to why that's the perfect set. You know, if we are, you know, we'll soon be the largest, we hope, non-alc beer in the country, and, you know, we should have 60% of that shelf, but these are good complementary things. Um, And we base that data on, you know, whether, you know, we know that IPAs, for example, are our best-selling 
non-elk product, it's also the best-selling elk product, and we can, you know, we can cross-reference that to help them make decisions on, you know, wh- who, who, and what they should be buying. So, mm-hmm. where does social commerce fit into all of this? How are you leveraging social media, uh, whether through engagement or or for selling? Since you can, well, you know, so historically, um, we grew as fast as we did because we really leveraged that. Right, we had the ability to sell, you know, and send the products. Um, and, you know, having the ability to sell to Hawaii three years ago, <laughs> right, when <laughs> when any regional or small brewer really that that was out of their control or their hands to do that. Um, but we we do the basics, uh, the, the Facebook, the Instagram marketing, the influencers, um, affiliate programs and things like that, because we've got we've got this dual mandate really um one is to grow athletic obviously number one number two is to grow the category we need people to understand that non-alc beer going forward is an awesome tasting alternative um whereas you know we have this hump that i discussed earlier of getting over sort of some historical context that's in many consumers um viewpoints so it's you know uh, non-alc beer is an affirmative thing you know, we're going to hold this can in our in our um, hands and be proud of it. Um, whereas before, I think it was maybe, you know, something that why would you drink something that wasn't great tasting? Um, and so the social media aspect is allowing us to find new customers um, much quicker than we could if we were just a beer company selling at retail. Um, and so I think that that's that's been something that we've spent a lot of time and money on um, gaining to, to make the category real with the best tasting backup product, which is athletic, right? So we're sort of that dual mandate. Can you talk a little bit about what's next for athletic, what you have on the horizon? Yeah, I mean, uh, I think our, our biggest thing right now is uh, sort of expanding our distribution um, to all these different channels. Um, we're really like, you know, laying into um, on-premise and off-premise before and Historically, people would build their brands at bars and restaurants, right? But then we had this little thing called COVID for a bit that sort of, you Changed know, things a bit. Changed things a little mm-hmm. bit. And so we're back to, you know, we're back to prioritizing that. We're, we're back to prioritizing in-person activation and tastings. Um, we call it cans and hands because we can... You know, we can with with great confidence know that if I put that can in your hand, Lisa, you're going to hold, you're going to taste it and go, oh, my God, this is actually really good. You're right. You know, and so during COVID, we, we spent a lot more time and money um, in the on the Internet and social commerce. And now I think we're sort of, you know, doubling down on the basics of let's just get this these cans into people's hands, um, get it into different channels. Right. So there's you know, casual, fast restaurants, things like that, that, you know, should have an alternative on their menu than, um, you know, a soda or, a, you know, a sparkling water or something like that. So we, we give them a more sophisticated uh, option for their menu. It gives them better margins. It gives them better, you know, ability to attract different customers and things like that. So. I, I admit, I do wish I had taken the time to get um, to have one, have a can in my hand for this episode. Um, it's a little early for a beer would not be too early for, for a non-alcoholic beverage. Um, so maybe next all. time. <laughs> even, <laughs> maybe. even if you're in California right now at 8.20 yes. in the morning, it would be fine. You know, so. Yes. I'm in New York. It's 11. So still, still a little yeah. early, but um, it wouldn't have been for this. So maybe next time. Um, okay. So I have one final question. Um, I called yeah. you a rising star when you joined the episode, but I'd love to learn what is another quickly expanding CPG brand or retailer uh, in your category and not that you admire and why? 
I mean, one one that's sort of grown up with us, um, and so I, I say they're they're still a rising star. But um, we we've been um, like we really enjoy Bombas, um, which is the sock company. Uh, I think one there's a couple of analogs there, just in that like socks prior to them was not an exciting category, right? It was like there was yeah. there was very little innovation. Um, they're a very affirmative um, company. We we give back two percent of our sales uh, to two for the trails, which is a, a park and um, a cleanup initiative. They give back to homeless shelters. Like there's a lot of social good being um, happening there as well. Um, and I just think that they sort of nailed this ability to, you know, find find new consumers, build a category. Um, as well as a great product at the same time. And I think that that's a really great analog for us. And uh, we see a lot of similarities there. So, No, definitely a great choice. I love Bombas, um, both for their mission and, and for their product. Um, so, Jamie, thank you so much for taking time to come on Tech Transformation. It's been really great having you here. Appreciate it, Lisa. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to Tech Transformation with CGT and RIS News. Be sure to subscribe to learn more innovative strategies and trends in the retail and consumer goods industries. And don't forget to visit rasnews.com and consumergoods.com to sign up for our newsletters.